This is Productive Ministry, Episode 8, Marketing with guest Rob Cox. Marketing is something that all organizations should be doing, but with all of the media available, it's hard to know where to start. In this episode, Rob Cox helps us to focus our energy by telling us where to start developing our brands and how to differentiate ourselves from the competition. Our special guest today is Rob Cox, who is marketing consultant and writer for the Star Conspiracy in Fort Worth. So what exactly do you do at the Star Conspiracy? Is it as uh, nefarious as it sounds? <laughs> no. So uh, the Star Conspiracy is a B2B enterprise software marketing firm uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. And what we do is we work with enterprise software brands on, on messaging and branding and creative work and ad placement and things like that. So at a high level, uh, what I do there is a practice manager content development. I consult with brands. I help them uh, find their voice. I help them find um, what market they need to position themselves in and how to position it and how they need to uh, differentiate themselves from the competition. You get to implement best uh, marketing practices kind of across the board and, and be a really strong player in that field. Does that include a lot of social media content? Yeah, it does. I work with a lot of social. Uh, before I actually worked at the uh, Star Conspiracy, I was a, a digital consultant for another communications firm in uh, Fort Worth. So I worked a lot with uh, you know email marketing, social media, things like that. And then uh, before that, I actually uh, wrote speeches for the mayor of Fort Worth. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did media relations for her. Every job I've ever held has kind of been about writing in the digital field or something about placement, something like that. So it's, it's something that everyone needs to be aware of, churches especially. Do you feel a lot of pressure to create viral content? Viral marketing is like getting, is like finding that lucky like needle in a haystack. Does that make sense? Right. You probably hear that, you know, all the time we want to do this church video or something like that. And we want it to get a million views on YouTube just because it's so wacky and ridiculous or whatever. But, you know, nine times out of 10, uh, people who set out with that intent are, are usually grossly disappointed, I would say. Do you remember that guy on, uh, oh, what was it? He was a youth pastor and he was doing, what was he? He was preaching about Aaron or somebody and he was trying to say, the you know, to, to pitch your tent. And yeah. he said, pitch your tits. <laughs> <laughs> he actually got, it's funny because it's such a ridiculous thing. But from that, he got a ton of speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. Because everybody wanted wanted him to go speak at their camp because he was the pitcher tents guy. Right. And and so that's kind of an example of how you can't really plan for viral. Like that guy did not uh, mean to say that. Like he was obviously trying to say, uh, you know, pitch a tent or something like that. And so yeah. just kind of by lucky happenstance that he happened to say that and people happened to think it was funny and they weren't, you know, mortally terrified. So, I, right. you know, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good example. <laughs> When churches are thinking about marketing, do they need to have a marketing strategy? Yeah, I would say uh, they absolutely need to have a marketing strategy. And so I think, um, you know, for the purposes of this uh, conversation, Rocky, I'll probably lean on you for like what uh, what churches actually do. <laughs> and uh, okay, and I can be I can be your ministry your ministry. I'll translate it into preacher. If from you an outside to. perspective, it seems kind of yeah. like marketing usually gets pushed off on like. Uh, probably like the intern or like the, the associate pastor. It's like one of the many things on his, his list that he probably needs to get done. 
or it's like right. a volunteer that just like happens to know what Snapchat is or something like that. Is that does that kind of sound correct? Typically, yeah, it's typically the youngest person in the office mm-hmm. on any regular basis just gets handed this. Now, more and more churches are recognizing the need for that, and so they're hiring people to just do graphics and videos and marketing and things like that. So, but that's much larger. That's like if you're at a, a larger church, probably 1500 or more, you might have a, a position like that. But, but for the most part, it just typically ends up being the youngest person in the office. I think churches get, as church leaders, we get really frustrated because we don't know how to get our message out uh, in any way that is meaningful. So that's always tough. It just always feels really overwhelming. Right. I think the best organizations are actually the ones that are marketing led. So before you actually get into, you know, that marketing strategy, it's it's probably best that um, you actually take a step back from that and at a high level view, kind of look at uh, your church or organization as a whole. You know, I would look at, you know, probably starting with your name, um, you know, is your name communicating what you want it to, uh, to the community? You know, if your denomination plays an important part in people coming to your church? Is your, is your denomination a part of your name? Uh, is it kind of reflecting uh, what you want to say to the audience? And in fact, maybe you take a step even back even further and you uh, you kind of define who your audience is. And in the circles that you've run in, has there been any kind of like talk about, uh, you know, who our church audience is, who obviously churches want to be entirely inclusive of everybody, but you're still going to market to a certain individual, correct? Right. And typically, when you think about a church name, older churches especially, they're they're named after a location and a denomination. That's how you get your church name, right? So depending on what part of town you're in, if you're on um, Valley View Lane and you're a Christian church, then you would be called Valley View Christian Church, right? right. And then if so, you're in the, a street that's, that's not called Valley View, you should probably change that name to reflect that your new location. <laughs> No, it doesn't typically work that way because by then you have you have an identity. Everybody who goes to your church already knows your name, wow. right? Like that's that's the difficult part of, of of something like that. So I'm sitting here. I'd never thought about it before until we started having this conversation. But it seems a little weird to me that that's how we get our names. Well, so that I think the whole reason for that is kind of geo targeting. Like if you're like the Frisco First Baptist Church, you know, if I'm a Baptist who lives. Uh, in Frisco, like I'm going to be very highly likely to attend your church. So there's a right. lot of strategy that can go into the name. If you don't want it to be uh, geographically based, you know, maybe going off of uh, something that's really going to appeal to who you want to bring in. You know, if your Church of Christ, making sure the Church of Christ is in the name, something like that. But again, it, it kind of comes back to what do you want to say to your audience? Who is your audience and, and how are you going to get them in through the door? Yeah, and the personality of your church, right? Right. I feel like marketing needs to start as far back as that at the very least. And that that's kind of like a conversation with church leadership, probably your board, something like that. I always feel like one person should own marketing at the very least. You know, someone who always says, this should definitely go out the door, this should not. Before, again, you get into even the execution of your marketing strategy or anything like that, you need to take a step back, look at the name of your church, which we kind of went over there, and then talk about, and you mentioned it with like personalities, like what kind of like brand do you want to have? What what kind of voice uh, do you want to put out there? What does your like 100-word boilerplate say? 
within that's like again finding who your audience is for instance i go to uh seven city church on west 7th uh, in fort worth uh, a lot of our marketing is kind of geared towards like the young professional and the young family type so you know we get the images on our social media it's all like it's all like that glossed over spotify look where it's like hands lifted in the air and you've got like that wispy kind of look over that's going to attract like the young professional millennial type so, super spiritual young professionals right, right. <laughs> so probably like a concern and uh that you've probably seen is that that you know like young people are coming to church less and yet less is i don't know i mean it depends on what statistic you read but as a rule that's the word right now but you know just speaking from experience you go to most churches that are growing you know they're they're filled with young people mm-hmm. you know i i think nationally you have smaller churches that are that are kind of closing down but like the mega churches are super mega churches now and so people like young people are just really kind of flocking to those things because there's a lot of pressure i think to market to young people I always feel churches should just be who they are. Absolutely. Right? For whoever God has called them to reach, whatever it is that their community is, whatever it is that, you know, if they live in an aging community, I don't feel like you should feel bad about that. If you live in a in a community that's being gentrified, I don't think that you should feel bad about that either. I think you should, you know, if you live in one of those gentrification neighborhoods, you should be unapolog- unapologetically hipster. You know, if you live in an aging community, you should be unapologetically conservative or whatever it is that you are, right? Absolutely. So that's actually what we tell enterprise software brands to do too, is like, just always be yourself. We actually subscribe to uh, uh, something that's called archetypal branding. And uh, what that is, is there are 12 major archetypes that are rooted in kind of the public subconscious. And uh, what we do for enterprise software as part of our consulting is help them uh, discover uh, what their brand's archetype is. And um, it's usually a function of, of who they are as a company, you know, so that their voice sounds authentic and it sounds like them. A good example of archetypal branding would be Geico. You know, Geico's ads are like all over the place. You know, they've yeah, they got the caveman, they've got the gecko, uh, they've got they've, they've got, got the, the money. Right. The, yeah. Yeah, and the YouTube videos that like stop at like 15 seconds or stuff like that. So Geico is um, is the jester archetype. Their marketing is kind of all over the place with those different campaigns, but their voice is always funny. The jester is one of the 12 archetypes that kind of come out through. So again, finding your, your brand voice has been important uh, as well as kind of where you fit, you know, in that ecosystem. But again, something that we do counsel people on is be who you are. You know, if you're if you're a young church, have that young feel, have that young voice. If you're like an old stodgy at church and you're like on Snapchat and trying to seem relevant with the youngsters, like people are going to call you out. People are going to know that like that this feels really inauthentic. Right. I think your de- your community determines who you are. The local church exists for the local community. God places us in a specific place so that we can uh, be effective in you know, ministering to those people and ministering the gospel to the people who surround us. Whatever that personality is, it has to be informed by the surrounding area. So like if you are an old stodgy church, uh, but your community is not that, mm-hmm. then as, as a leadership, you have tough choices to make, don't you? That would probably come down to personnel. Like if you're trying to attract like a bunch of young people, but you're like an old stodgy organization, maybe you look around the organization and say, okay, we don't 
really have any young people, uh, you know, working here or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it's it's a personnel thing. It's it's kind of the culture and, and personality of your church and just making sure that what you're communicating internally is also like the same feel that you are sending externally. Yeah, you have to be intentional about that. So if you're needing to if you're needing to make a change, start with your staff. If you don't have any one on staff that looks like the community that you're in or the people that you need to reach, then you're already in a bad place. You want that advocate for the for the community too. Like when people come in through the door, they want to be able to identify with somebody on staff that either like understands their pain points or it's somebody that they connect with, you know? Right. If I'm trying to figure out what my archetype is, what are some questions that I could ask myself as a church leader to try and help me figure it out? Or is there a resource that I can go to? One external uh, resource that that we look at is, is a book called The Hero and the Outlaw. And then, so that kind of outlines um, uh, the 12 archetypes uh, very well. It's, it's, I think it's about like a two to 300 page book. It's, if, you, if you're interested in archetypal branding, it's, it's a really good resource to check out. What is a marketing plan exactly? We talked about, you know, kind of how important your name is. We talked about uh, how important your brand, voice, and, and culture is and, and things like that. I think if it's all right with you, I, I, th- I think another important thing before you even get into that marketing strategy, before you, you hand the keys over to the intern or uh, the associate pastor, whoever it is that's going to handle your marketing, I think it's important for you to kind of talk about your uh, denomination. This this problem exists within enterprise software branding. I don't know how much it exists uh, in churches, though. I, I think it is kind of relevant. So, some brands will try to like invent a new category or something like that, where something that's not found in nature. Does that ever happen with churches? Like, do you ever see like a lot of hyphens within a denomination or something like that, where Baptist, Millennial? something or other where churches kind of try to describe themselves as something that doesn't really is a denomination that doesn't exist. Well, what they do now is they, they drop the denomination title. Mm -hmm. So they'll keep all the denominational beliefs, but subversively they won't tell anybody that they're Southern Baptist or they won't tell anybody uh, because they, they don't want to deter. They want people to be distracted by that. Uh, and so you have, you find a, you find a lot of churches who are just going to these these one word monikers mm-hmm. like community community church or so in that way yes well I get that so we want to be inclusive we don't want to turn anyone away because we're such and such denomination or something like that like that yeah like people have already prejudged our denomination so we're just going to ignore that in the title so the only thing I would counsel there yeah, or to play devil's advocate in our church talk. Um, would be uh, just don't risk uh, confusing your audience. Like, if, again, if you want that strong Baptist crowd or you want that strong Church of Christ crowd or shoot, you want that strong independent Disciples of Christ crowd or whatever, you know, make sure that you've got your, your denomination locked down. Right. At some point, you have to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then from there, once you've got kind of your audience established, your denomination established, talk about what values do you want to be known for? you have an exceptionally good worship service, something like that? I would, you know, I'd pick one to three things that you definitely want your church to be known as. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I think that I know that, but when you say values, most people are going to say, oh, well, we value worship and we value fellowship and we value service. But it doesn't have to be that because I know churches who value missions. Right. 
Right. And I know, I know churches who value um, small groups or discipleship or education. And I know that there are churches like that, but what I don't ever see is them leading with that and just saying, we're a church that is passionate about missions or, you know, we're a church that is just passionate about giving. Right. And that's, that's what we do. Huh. That's interesting to me. And so if you're kind of picking up on a theme, the whole, the whole idea here behind establishing your audience, establishing your denomination and kind of picking what, what your core values are there, what, which, what you want people to get immersed out of their experience with your church is that you want people to identify with you when they're searching for their church. Cause we're looking for unchurched people and we're looking for uh, people who are looking for a church in your area. What, what they're, what's going to turn them off is if they come to like a really text heavy uh, website that doesn't really explain who they are or what's kind of going on with the church. The important things are getting those out in front so that people can identify with you as quickly as possible. The final two pieces of that description that are important are uh, competition and differentiation. Competition sounds kind of terrible to say, I think, within <laughs> this context. It's like a, you're competing with other churches, but you're, you know, if you're competing to get people into your church, uh, what what makes you different from the other churches that uh, your potential uh, churchgoer might consider? Like what's going right. to make you stand out from uh, from that other? So figuring out what your differentiation is again, like is it is it that your your worship service goes for five minutes longer than anyone else in the uh, <laughs> in the metro? <laughs> that that's that's a terrible one off the top of my head. But I don't know. Have, have you experienced any good like differentiators for churches? So many churches are exactly the same right now. Right. I mean, I mean, nauseatingly so. I mean, they all want to do satellite campuses and, you know, they all have black black box stages with with lighting and uh, a rotating band. And I mean, they're they're almost all exactly the same now. And even and even denominationally, there's nothing that is really there's really no identity. Everybody is doing the same things these days because I guess it works. But then like the churches who who are distinct aren't aren't really growing because and I think part of that is, is they don't know how to communicate that distinction. If I know that's really negative. If I were to answer it another way, now that I think about it, I know that Watermark is big on marriages and Gateway is big on worship. So thinking of differentiation within the context of Gateway, I'm going to choose Gateway because I I, I know what that church is. <laughs> so I'll. Uh, Thinking of like Gateway's differentiator, their differentiator, in my mind, it's two people. One, it's Carrie Job. Two is Robert Morris. No other, no other church in the world can claim to have Carrie Job or Robert Morris, uh, you know, at their church. Does that make sense? So you're saying like people can be a differentiating factor? People can be. Uh, take uh, Preston Wood, for example, you know, a, a differentiator for them would be, you know, they have Pastor Jack Graham, right? Like everyone. Right. Plex knows Pastor Jack Graham's name. So, I mean, yeah, he's a differentiator. Another differentiator for them would be um, that crazy uh, Christmas show that they put on every year uh, that's got like oh, yeah. inside and Santa comes out and there's camels and stuff like that. You right. know, Prestonwood is really good at putting off kind of like a sense of wealth, uh, I would say, you know, like, and it shows in kind of their attendance too. And, and forgive me if I'm overgeneralizing here, but 
you know, like their average churchgoer might that goes to Preston Wood strikes me as uh, somebody who's suburban and wealthy, and, uh, and and I think that part of that's because of the brand that the church puts out. Does that make sense? Is that right. controversial? <laughs> Uh, it's a little controversial, but I think that you're helping me understand what it means to differentiate because I had a very narrow view of differentiation, like a, a specific way of doing things that would make people distinct. But but now I think that differentiation can mean a pastor that makes you distinct mm-hmm. or a program that makes you distinct. So anything that that kind of sets you apart, if it's your if it's your Christmas cantata or your Easter cantata or whatever you should, what you're saying is you should, you should pounce on that opportunity. Absolutely. And I mean, don't get it wrong either. Like uh, a lot of marketing uh, goes into making, um, making Pastor Jack Graham a differentiator for Prestonwood or making Robert Morris uh, one for Gateway. Now it, it helps that Robert Morris is also like a great writer and he produces great books. So he's kind of got that going for him too, but like, uh, you know, I would assume that, uh, you know, there, there's like a message from the pastor, I would assume, on somewhere on both of those websites that would show, oh, yes, I know who that is. He wrote he wrote The God I Never Knew or something like that, you know? Right. Okay, so it was di- uh, differentiation and what else? Uh, competition. So like how, how you differentiate from that competition. And Oh, I see. Taking a look at your competition again, that's it's probably a dirty word within the the church world, but we're talking about marketing. So I'm, I'm getting, <laughs> uh, again, that's not your competition is going to be anyone. Uh, probably that's within your geographic area. Uh, maybe that shares a denomination or something like that with you. How are you going to set yourself apart from them? Churches aren't just competing with other churches. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as churches go, we want people from our community going to churches. Right. And we're happy for people, but we are competing with a thousand other things that are vying for everybody's attention. There are a million things to do and there's still only 24 hours in a day. Going back to defining who your audience is, I assume the churches, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume the churches kind of have uh, a problem uh, getting volunteers like super, super involved. Have you ever kind of experienced that with churches? No, I've never experienced that. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, it's always, I mean, it's always a struggle. It's always a struggle. Right. So uh, a, a part of picking out who that audience is that you most want to identify with, like who is going to identify with your attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs. That would be like your radical churchgoer. Identifying who your radical churchgoer is uh, and, and, and making sure that they identify with your church in the strongest way possible, that all ties back to your marketing. And if you are able to bring in that radical churchgoer, they're going to be the ones who help shape your organization. They're going to be the ones who volunteer for you know, the barbecues, they're going to volunteer to help with parking on Sundays or play in the band or what have you. And it's going to be because they've, they've identified with something in your organization. So right. that's, that's the whole uh, point of identifying your audience, identifying your denomination, identifying your value, your differentiation, competition. It's also, you can get that radical churchgoer and radical churchgoer probably sounds bad in a, in a religious context. Let's just call them like super involved uh, churchgoer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're super involved churchgoer involved with your organization. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense because there's always that old adage that like takes to like. And the people that identify with the message that you're communicating are the people that are going to ultimately mm-hmm. go to your church. So in that way, 
churches have two burdens, right? So we have the we have the burden of reaching the lost and doing that. That's part of the Great Commission, but also, you know, discipleship and uh, and equipping, which is the other part of the Great Commission. Those are your radical churchgoers, the ones who are in intense discipleship and taking leadership positions and are going to be your volunteers and your givers and all of those things. And it's, it's like you said, like a lot of church marketing or a lot of like uh, uh, websites can all feel the same and kind of milk toast and uh, just like they're not really, I mean, all of them can like look really homogenized and like everyone's doing the same. And that's because they haven't gone through these exercises of finding out what really makes them different, finding out uh, who they really want to be talking to, like right. really focusing in on those like essential values that they want to bring. My thought is the reason that churches are so milk toast, as you put it, and they're all the same, really has to do with the fact that they decided who they wanted to be, mm -hmm. right? They're literally impersonating another church. Uh, and they didn't start with the question, what is our value? Like, what is the thing that genuinely makes us distinct? Right. Um, what is the thing that differentiates us from? What can we do better in our community than, than anyone else, right? I can think off the top of my head right now. Eastridge Park, the church that I was just at, they do education better than than anyone I know. They are Bible knowledge people. And the interesting thing is, is that there's a lot of teachers that go to that church, mm -hmm. right? But even as I was a staff member there, it never occurred to me that that's, that's who we are and that's okay. So I'm smiling from year to year right now, Rocky, because um, if Eastridge Park, you know, their their obsession was kind of chasing after knowledge or, or education or something like that. And they instilled that into their people. And the people that, you know, actually came to the church were teachers. And th that would be their their radical or not their radical churchgoer, their their involved churchgoer who also sought knowledge and had similar identities with that. So if I were to from an armchair, uh just based on like the three uh sentences you just told me about them, you know, I would identify them as like the sage archetype. Um, the sage archetype is someone who quests after knowledge and, and looks to instill knowledge into other people through mentorship or, or anything like that. So it sounded, it sounds like, yeah, even though it may not have seemed like it, it sounded like maybe that church uh, did have kind of a voice to it. Okay. So just for a quick review, before we even talk about having a marketing strategy, the first thing that is we have to define is, is who we are. And then the second thing is to define who that radical, what did you call them? Radical Christian is? Well, let's not call them radical Christians because that sounds bad. Let's just call them like super involved churchgoer. Super, I want more radical Christians. Um, <laughs> radical loving Christians. Oh. But okay, we have to figure out like who our super involved person is, what that person looks like. Mm -hmm. And then from there, what do we do? Now that we've kind of talked about you know, how you define your name, that hundred word description about yourself and calling out all those things that makes your church special there so that you don't have kind of a milk toast brand and you're not you know, lukewarm about anything. Once you've kind of defined your voice and, and defined who you are, now we can talk about marketing strategy. Does that sound good? No. <laughs> yeah. What's a marketing strategy? <laughs> it's, it's, it's taken us this long to get to because I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would know better, but uh, it feels like that this is like where a lot of churches just jump right into. It's like, oh, okay, uh, we, we need to start thinking about marketing now. So, okay, let's get on Facebook and like, let's start just posting some stuff. 
they don't go through these exercises of, of figuring out who they are and, and how that voice is going to translate uh, through all these social channels or through email marketing or something like that. Because well, they do. You know what? You know they do, Rob. They 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 go and they hire all these consulting firms. <laughs> uh, the church consulting firm will come in and they'll look at your property. It's all very surface, and they'll look at they'll look at your building and they'll be like, people aren't going to want to go to a dirty church and. You know, it smells like old ladies in here and mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. All of those things are great and important. But what is the point of all that if you don't even know who you are? But then you're it's like Jesus says, you're just a whitewashed tomb at that point. You look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You get you get me preaching, Rob. You got me preaching. No, that's good. And so like uh, what, what a lot of those consultants, it sounds like they come in and they look at your church from like a like a purely the purely physical brick and mortar standpoint it's like uh you know where right. are all the entrance points what are those people seeing when they walk into those entrance points and uh you know what's the first impression that they get of the church and things like that and those those things are important but i would say what's more important than that is getting people in the door in the first place and that comes with the right. real message that you're sending to the market where a lot of people jump off okay, we need to do marketing now. Let's hop on Facebook and just start saying something and tell people to come to church. And that's, you know, obviously not the place where you want to start. We've kind of talked about where some of your starting points should be. Once you've got all that figured out, uh, how do you want to communicate this message to the marketplace now? So to formulate that strategy, I would uh, first recommend that churches kind of look at uh, some KPIs, some key performance indicators. Uh, are there usually goals that churches like try to hit or uh, are, are there usually things that the churches measure in your experience? Oh yeah. They, uh, they measure attendance. They measure giving. So yeah. That, and that makes sense. They're so, like being able to actually take attendance and giving and, and being able to measure that on a weekly basis is huge. Uh, many other kind of metrics that you can, you can pull from is huge. Is it, am I wrong to assume that every, that every church has a connect card? The majority of churches do have card where they get people's information, and if, if you don't have a connect card, you know, get one. And <laughs> get one. If you don't have a connection card, you can go to productiveministry.org, and we have a template for a connection card or a visitor card that you can download. Okay, go ahead, Rob. Excellent. That's that's a great resource. The connection card is one of the places where you can actually kind of track back some of that ROI, that return on investment, on marketing, where you can actually put, you know, how did you hear about us on on your card or something like that, and give give a couple of uh, give a couple of options. Like, did you hear about us on social media? Did you hear about us through our newsletter? Uh, by the way, you should have a newsletter. Um, but did you hear about us through through billboards or something like that? Being able to read those metrics is really how you're going to be able to tie back to see how your marketing is performing. Probably something else that would be good to send out is like a, at least a monthly survey, you know, asking probably on a scale of like zero to 10, how, with 10 being really great, how likely are you to recommend such and such church to a friend? And then right. you know, a second question can be, you know, what, what's the primary reason for, for your answer there? So just being able to track all those things that are going well uh, can help inform uh, the key performance indicators that you want to set for your marketing program. Um, are there any other metrics that you've experienced that, that, that churches usually try to attract or try to make sure that they get? Oh, Sunday school or small groups. 
the worship service, the attend worship service attendance would be an indicator of like how well you're doing at, at reaching out, getting people involved in small groups, getting people involved in Sunday school, however your church does it, uh, would be an indicator of how well you are discipling people and how important discipleship is in your church. Yeah. And of course, giving is is a pretty good indicator of like the level of spiritual maturity that people have. I know that sounds ridiculous, but there you go. Ten percent, right? To start, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So from once you have all those numbers on, you know, small groups and Sunday schools and attendance and things like that, you can actually maybe identify some of your pain points or some of the places that you, you know, want to improve. If you if like attendance is low, you know, what what are some of the ideas that we can do to get attendance up and then from there you can form campaigns and so on and so forth. But if you're just looking at, you know, the typical uh, year 2017 calendar, what are we going to do? What I caution against is developing a marketing plan that is solely like month-based. Like in January, we're going to do this. In February, we're going to do this. In March, we're going to do this. So on and so forth. What, what, I think would be beneficial for churches to focus on from like a marketing standpoint, as far as making like a a content calendar or something like that would be identifying like the big focal points that you want to set for the course of the year. So like uh, a big one, I assume is Easter. Is that correct? It would be Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day. Those are the days of the highest attendance. Mother's Day. That's funny. Uh, So like Easter, Xmas and Mother's Day. If you've set those focal points, you can start focusing campaigns around that. So you can come up with uh, like a tagline or, or you can, uh, if your uh, if your pastor's already written a sermon for Easter or something like that, and it's like, you know, three words or four words or something that's really memorable and it's going to make a campaign stuck out, or it's going to make for a great hashtag or something like that. You can take that campaign and just start driving it towards Easter. And you don't really have to focus on, oh, we're going to do this in February, we're going to do this in March. It's instead like, how far out do we need to start planning for the big days, like Easter or Christmas or Mother's Day? Or it's how far out do we need to start planning for, you know, our church's next big fundraiser or planning for our next big barbecue or our next big community event? How far out do we need to start planning for those things? So what what I'm saying here is get away from the idea that you need to have uh, like a marketing content calendar that's strictly like time-based, like month-based or week-based or something like that, and focus it more on hitting those big points. And so if you're you're doing that, you're going to be able to focus all of your energy towards Christmas and towards Mother's Day and and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? Don't waste your time coming up with a marketing strategy Mm -hmm. for every little thing that's happening just because it's coming up. You communicate those things, obviously, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to do a huge community campaign for, you know, your Sunday school potluck. Right. Right. So you're saying just, just spend your energy focusing on the big days because uh, those are natural, natural attendance flow. Mm-hmm. People are thinking, oh, I want to go to church on those days. And then one or two other church specific events. Right. Like I would assume that there would be things that would be pertinent to your specific church like um like we know that fundraising is going to uh, we're going to have to have a fundraising event at the end of february or something like that and so being able to plan a a whole marketing campaign around how we're going to get people to that event how we're going to get people to give where they're going to give things like that do we need to create 
uh, microsite with its own URL that's got the campaign name of our fundraising program, you know, things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what you've got there is that there's big focal points kind of identified. You can actually start making micro campaigns about going out to there. And like you said, like, make sure that you're communicating things that ha that are happening from week to week to, you know, like you know, the spotlight's happening or something like that. You can include that, uh, you know, within your newsletter. But focus you put that on your newsletter. You can put it on your website. You can put it in your bulletin and it can be in your slideshow. Some, some churches may think, you know, like, uh, we need to be on everything. We need to be on Facebook and we need to be on Twitter and we need to be on Snapchat and Instagram and blah, 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 blah. What you want to make sure is, is that you have the staff to make sure that you're able to have enough of a voice on those channels too, because those channels are, are the, the tail, they're not the dog the, you know, the tail does not wag the dog. Those channels should be viewed as something that you're going to put these marketing communications, you know, ideas and campaigns out through. From that too, I wouldn't be as concerned with vanity metrics either, like how many Twitter followers we have or how many Facebook followers we have. I mean, marketers are going to get that question within the organization because those are the the big, I'm not, I'm trying not to say sexy numbers, but they're the big sexy numbers uh, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that, that everyone's concerned with. Really, the ROI is like how many people came to that potluck and how many people right. came to Easter. Like at the end of the day, it's it's the goals that are helping the organization that are most important. You said something earlier that I thought was really good, and I just want you to kind of speak into this. You said you should have one person on staff mm -hmm. or one person who all of that marketing stuff goes through. One of the things that makes me nervous that, I mean, have you ever experienced or have you ever noticed that uh, maybe church that you've been involved with or that you've heard about as like outsourced social media to like maybe a volunteer or, or something? Right. So the, the whole problem there, and we've, we've talked about how important your voice is and how important your brand is and making sure that you, you stick out from everybody. There should be um, somebody who I believe pushes who has the final say on when the submit button gets pushed um making right. sure that everything is spelled correctly <laughs> making sure that yeah. um everything is on brand and on the church's voice and i mean most importantly that it's scripturally correct or biblically correct right <laughs> so right be it a head pastor be it uh you know if, if an organization is actually big enough to hire like a, a chief marketing officer or something like that yeah. It's always making sure that there is that 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 front line that kind of protects what goes out externally. Oh, you know, I I've worked at different places and I've worked with different places where the marketing is so inconsistent, mm -hmm. um, and it's just all over the place where the the fonts aren't correct. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's something that really bothers me, especially when you're trying to to brand your church, and so. And like the coloring and there's a lot of moving parts that, that are part of this. And to say, you know, it's, it's better if one person is going through all of this because it means it makes us feel like the entire church, it, it's our best foot forward and it lets the world know that we are all on the same page here. Well, if it feels inconsistent to you, someone who's actually like on the staff and these, these, these changes, you can guarantee that it's going to be inconsistent to you. To, to people on the outside as well, to people who oh, yeah. may be like perspective, like 
churchgoers who may be actively considering your church. They may be looking at all of your different channels or something like that, which you've undoubtedly linked out to on your homepage or something like that. And oh, yeah. Saying, okay, I don't. And I've seen, I've seen crazy stuff like where the the time for an event or the date of an event is one thing on a, on a slideshow, a different thing in the bulletin. It's different on the website. It's different on the Facebook page. Yeah. You know. Um, it sounds tedious and maybe not every church organization has the staff to uh, accommodate for that. But I mean, I really do believe that your external messaging should be owned by one person. Um, and I agree. like at least one pair of eyes should be able to see everything that goes out of the shop. Yeah. And, and not everybody, like I said, not everybody's going to, most churches are going to have six outlets for communication. You know, it's going to be stuff like your, your website. It's going to be, your Sunday morning bulletin, your newsletter, uh, a slideshow, and your Facebook page. It's like that's standard. This is what churches are using now. And then some people, you know, they also have their Twitter and their their Facebook and their Snapchat and their Tumblr and their blog on their website and all this other stuff. But for the most part, it's pretty simple. And even if you don't have the staff, like the paid staff to take care of that, certainly there is one mature person uh, who has who has the time to to kind of develop that and be in charge of that? Like that can be a ministry that you start at your church if you can't afford that. And I think that that's a really good idea because it's 2017. That's just the world that we live in. Or you could even look at that position as like an editor. Like not everyone can have has the bandwidth to produce all of this content that needs to go across all of these channels or something like that. But as long as right. the content before it goes out goes across the eyes of, uh, of an editor who's in control of the voice, who knows, okay, this is on brand, this is off brand, we need to change this word to that word. Yeah. Big one again is like, this is not scripturally correct. Make sure that we yeah. don't communicate that out. Nobody knows what time this event is happening. Right. So if you view that, if you view that uh, position, uh, you don't even have to view it as the person who created the content. In fact, fact, probably more times than not, it's probably better if the person who created it um, isn't the one who's also editing it. Like it should probably always go through another pair of eyes first, just to make sure. Again, everything sounds correct and everything sounds consistent. Now, do you have the ability before before we wrap up here? Do you have the ability to just quickly, like point by point, outline? what we've just talked about. <laughs> sure. It's really important before churches dive into a marketing strategy or how we're going to use social media to tell our story or anything like that. It's really important for them to take a step back and look at their messaging from a really high level. And that includes their name, uh, their brand, what audience they want to speak to, how they define their denomination. Are they talking about their denomination? What values do they want to be known for most? Which which values do they want to bring to the forefront? And then how do they differentiate from anyone who could be considered quote unquote competition in the area? Mm-hmm. And from there, you can dive into your marketing strategy where you identify your focal points like Easter and Christmas and Mother's Day and start forming campaigns around there and using social media and email marketing and things like that to tell your story to those focal points. Some some free or cheap tools that can really help with bandwidth if churches have problems with bandwidth. I, I you know I recommend uh, Hootsuite is a really good tool for uh, for social media marketing and it's free. Right. 
Uh, MailChimp is another great tool for uh, churches that just need like a cheap or free email newsletter. SurveyMonkey is a really great one if they need a, a free or cheap option for doing surveys and, and finding out what's working and what's not. And then finally, I would I would say one that's one that's really free and it's available to everybody that I think everyone should use. I think uh, Google does a great job um, with all of their products: Google Docs, Google Spreadsheets, uh, Google Slides, things like that. Um, it really helps with the co-creation of content. Uh, a lot of people can edit a Google Doc, and you can share the link out and. Uh, it's a really productive and fast way to make sure that, you know, copy is correct or, uh, you know, messaging is correct, things like that. that. That's a free tool that not everybody uses. Rob, you've been so helpful to us today. I think that we might have you back on on a later date, if that's okay. I would, I would be honored to. Well, uh, thank you for being on Productive Ministry. And if you uh, have any follow-up questions, if you're listening to this and, uh, uh, you have any follow-up questions or you just want to connect, uh, you can always follow me uh, on Twitter at Rob Cox DFW. I'm more than happy to talk to you. All right, Rob. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. Links to all of the resources you heard about in our episode are available in our show notes at www.productiveministry.org. Like us at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org or connect with us on Twitter at Prod Ministry. Productive Ministry is a division of Rumble Media LLC. Our producer is Tim Jenkins. And as always, we hope you have a productive week. Productive Ministry.